a drink called Pisco, a spice called Merkin, and a dish called Caranto. This week, we're in Chile. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we visit a different place to sample the dishes and drinks that make it unique. And this week... It's Chile. My guest is travel writer Shafik Meji. Shafik has been on the podcast before talking about the cuisine of Argentina and Buenos Aires in episodes 103 and 117. And Shafik was also on talking about Easter Island on episode 132. Those were great conversations. So if you haven't heard them yet, I've got links to them in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED147. Shafik writes travel guidebooks and articles about travel for a living, and he always knows the best things to eat and the places to go. I think what I like best about having Shafik on the show is his big world view. And what I mean by that is he's been to all these places and he's able to talk about the differences and similarities between them. So when we talk about Chile, Shafik is quick to point out how Umitas compare to tamales and how hot stone cooking in Chile is similar to a cooking method on Easter Island. Shafik and I also wade into the Pisco debate between Chile and Peru, talk Chilean wine, and discuss some cool places to visit besides the capital of Santiago. It's a wide-ranging discussion about a place that has many wildly different regions from north to south. But before we dive into that and all things Chile, do me a favor. If you've enjoyed the podcast, share a link on your social media. Tell your friends you like the show and get them on the Destination Eat Drink bandwagon. Destination Eat Drink. Jeffick, welcome back to Destination Eat Drink. This is your fourth time on the show. Uh, so thanks for, uh, thanks for being on the show. Looking forward to talking about Chile with you today. Uh, thanks, Brett. Thanks for inviting me back. Um, I'm feeling like an old pro at this now, which is uh, a nice I think theme. you are. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk to you about Chile today because you wrote the uh, DK Eyewitness Guide to Chile and Easter Island, which is a place we've talked about before on the podcast. Chile is unique in that it kind of runs the spine of South America. It runs, you know, in the north. It starts up in the border with Peru, and then it runs all the way south to the very tip of Tierra del Fuego. And to my mind, this has to mean that there is quite a difference in regionality in Chile when you go from these different places, not, not just climate, but, you know, uh, the the people. How would you go about describing the differences in Chile and the similarities in Chile? I know that's a that's a very open ended question to start with, but I thought it might be a good place to start on this conversation. No, absolutely. I I, I think with with, with with Chile, you need to talk about the um, the geography first, really, because it's such a. I mean, if you look at a map, it's such a distinctive, unusually shaped country. Um, long and thin, it's roughly 4,300 kilometers long. Um, so that's roughly the equivalent of traveling from Alaska to Georgia. Um, but its width 
on average is only 180 kilometers. Um, and within that, you have incredibly varied landscapes. Uh, so in the north, you've got the Atacama Desert. That's the world's driest non-polar desert. You've got temperate rainforests in the south. You've got ice fields, part of the biggest ice uh, set of ice fields outside of the poles. You've got subtropical islands. You've got golden sandy beaches. You've got great cities. You've got isolated villages. And during one of my first visits to, um, to, to Chile, which was probably about 15 years ago now, um, someone told me to think of it like an island, really. And, um, and that's essentially because it's hemmed in by the Andes to the east, by the Pacific to the west, by the, the very dry Atacama Desert to the north, and by the, the great southern ocean to the south. Um, and as a result, it's slightly cut off from its, its, its neighbours, and that's had an impact on the culture identity, the food, the landscapes, the wildlife, really on everything um, uh, within within Chile. So it seems like we talk about isolated places whenever we have you on the show, Shafik. We talked about Easter Island, one of the remotest islands in the world. And now we're talking about Chile, which is remote in its geography with the, you talked about the oceans and the, uh, and the mountains. Um, what are some of the different cultures as far as the people go, um, that exist in Chile? There must be a wide range of different kinds of folks that live in Chile. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like um, like re re really South America, Latin America as a whole, over the last 500 years has been wide-ranging uh, immigration from across the world, um, obviously from Spain originally, um, but also from Italy, from Germany, from the Balkans, from uh, the Middle East. Um, and often discussions about uh, Chilean culture, South American cultures will focus focus on those stories, which are very interesting, which are important. Um, but there's also a very strong um, indigenous um, culture, identity um, and heritage in, in, in the island, in, in, in Chile. For example, um, the Mapuche people who are traditionally from the, um, the southern regions, from, the, from Patagonia, for example, make up, I think, roughly about 1.3 million people. And you can see their influence um, very, very, uh, very readily on the, uh, on the culture and also some of the, uh, the, the food that I think we'll talk about. Um, but also pretty much if, you know, if, if you're coming from, from Europe, wherever you're coming from Europe, You'll see little elements of your your culture, your language, your food, um, your music, your sports, um, indeed, and that's uh, it's a real patchwork patchwork of uh, cultures and identities that have fused into uh, to one uh, one much larger one. I don't know why this always surprises me when we talk about South America, but. You know, I somehow I'm always uh, a little surprised when I find out that there's a large Italian or with Italian ancestry population in these countries in South America. You know, you've got them in Argentina, you, all over, all over South America. Talk a little bit about the Italian influence uh, in Chile. Yeah, I mean, I mean as you said, um, Italian immigration has been one of the huge um, kind of demographic shifts to to South America over the last 200, 250 years or so. Um, now, the Italian immigration into Chile was was um, far smaller than than neighbouring Argentina, for example, or, or, or places like Uruguay or even southern southern Brazil. But it it had a very very significant impact. Um, it was in the nineteenth and early twentieth century. Um, 
you know, you will find people with Italian heritage all over Chile, but I think it's particularly in, in central, in the central regions and towards the south. Um, and, you know, a quick, a cursory look at, uh, at menus across the country, even as far away as Easter Island or Tierra del Fuego, far right in the south. You'll find pasta, you'll find pizza, you'll find ice cream, and you can really see the, uh, the Italian influence there. Um, and also there's been an Italian influence on the, uh, the wine industry, which is um, really a huge part of uh, um, the Chilean economy um, and really one of its success stories over the last, uh, last few decades. Let's talk about wine, uh, because I think for you know, Chile, Chilean wine has really come into the forefront in the past couple of decades. You can, I remember when, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you would very rarely see Chilean wine in American liquor stores. Now, every wine shop has not only a, a few bottles, but a whole section dedicated to Chilean wine. It's very good. The quality of Chilean wine is is excellent. It's gotten much better over the past couple of decades. How is this wine industry, uh, how is it established and how has it grown over time? By some measures, Chile is the, um, the fifth largest exporter of wine in the world. So it's, um, it's a really huge, huge business. Uh, you know, it, it dates back, uh, wine in Chile dates back to the, the earliest period of colonization with the conquistadors and, um, uh, and often in the, the monasteries and so on. It was link, linked to that and lots of... Uh, um, vines were brought over from from Europe, and it's developed developed from 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 there. Um, as I said, there's a very strong um, French influence on the on the grapes that were grown. You know, perhaps Chile's perhaps most famous for the Carmenere grape, which is a deep red wine. The grapes originally from Bordeaux, kind of a medium to full bodied, high tannins, delicious. Um, but obviously, you get Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, and so on. Um, and it's really, you know, it's developed in strength, gone from strength to strength. As you say, in the US, it's become much more ubiquitous in, in wine shops. It's very much the case here in the UK and and, and further afield. Um, and wine is really the vineyards across, um, uh, across the central region in the north, even towards Patagonia, believe it or not. Um, and wine tourism is a, a huge element of it, too, as well. It's really, really easy to visit uh, vineyards. There's lots of wine routes that you can go for tours and tastings. Even if you're in Santiago, in the capital, uh, you can take uh, the local transport out there. You can get a taxi. And just on the edge of the, um, the, the, the city are some vineyards that you can really, you know, they're really, really incredibly accessible. Um, and it's definitely something that I would encourage you to, uh, to do if you visit. Um, and obviously, everywhere you go, every restaurant you go to, there'll be a, um, an excellent selection of uh, Chilean wine available. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the country really takes, takes advantage of a you know, good climate, few pests, generally good water supplies in most of the areas. So um, yeah, as I say, it's, um, Chilean wine is uh, a big success story. What are a couple of the major wine regions in Chile and where are they located and how do we get to go and experience it and maybe visit them yeah i mean there's there's dozens and dozens of them um i'd say probably the central valleys which um if you think of chile on the map santiago roughly in the center the central valleys are just south of there this is probably the best known uh and most prolific of the wine growing areas uh it's a very bucolic agricultural um area lots of very um uh, very attractive little towns and villages um 
and you'll see vines growing uh, almost as far as the eye can see in many parts of it. This is a really easy place to um, to, to go on, on wine tours. It's the place that I've done wine tours the most on. Um, but almost wherever you are in the country, until you get to, until you get to um, quite far south and the weather weather, weather changes dramatically, um, the, the vineyards die out. But almost anywhere you go, you can visit these these vineyards. As I say, even in even in uh, Santiago, near to, uh, Santiago is near to the Casablanca wine valley, which goes out towards the the coast. And again, that's very very accessible. It's also really accessible if you're on public transport, which I'm always kind of um, you know I always like to um, promote those kind of things because it makes wine growing a bit more accessible, a bit cheaper um, if you want to visit some of these uh, vineyards. And you don't have to drive, which is uh, you know always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, so many places that you have to do, have to drive to, um, and uh, yeah, you, you you kind of miss out a bit. Having said that, there's also a very uh, there's a very good um, uh, uh, cycling based wine tour or series of wine tours that you can do from Santiago, which I've done in the past, which is a nice way to explore. Uh, but you tend to do the cycling out there. And do the tastings afterwards, so uh, you don't you don't right. have to um, cope with uh, Chilean roads on a bike after having uh, perhaps one too many. I think of you know Chile is a mountainous country. I think of some wine growing regions are flat, like uh, maybe in Nelson, New Zealand, or maybe Northern California, and then there are mountainous regions, hilly regions. And I, when I think of the hilly regions, I think, how do they cope with these hills and mountains? And I wonder, do they tend to terrace vineyards or do they just do them on gentle slopes? How do they physically plant all of these grapes? Because they're planting an awful lot of vines in Chile. Yeah, I mean, the 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 the, the simple answer is all, all of those. You get terraces, you get uh, planting on slopes. I mean, in the central valleys, as the name would suggest, it, it, it's, it's actually a, a lot of it is a lot flatter than you than you would think. But kind of all the terrain is taken taken advantage of, or as much of the terrain as possible is taken advantage of, um, and that also makes um, for the visitor uh, the vineyards very uh, very picturesque and very scenic as well. I mean, it's even if you're not a wine drinker, I would encourage you to visit some of these uh, these wine growing regions because it's uh, yeah they're, they're, they're some of the most uh, beautiful areas of countryside. In Chile. Yeah, and if you're not a wine drinker, you can be the designated driver and let your uh, friends sit in the back seat and enjoy some uh, enjoy some wine. You will make yourself very popular with your travel companions. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Pisco. Um, this is another drink that's getting a lot more popular in the United States. A lot of folks call it the national drink of Chile. And it's a byproduct of the winemaking process, you know, distilled grape juice. Um, so what is Pisco specifically? And then we'll get into a little of the nitty gritty about the competition between Peru and Chile for, uh, for bragging rights on Pisco. Uh, so, so Brent, you're going to be leading me into, uh, some, some treacherous territory. I'm going to hope I'm going <laughs> don't, to don't step in it. You know? <laughs> yes. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to tread very carefully, very carefully now. Uh, yeah, as you said, Pisco kind of grew out of the, um, the, um, the, the, the wine growing industry. It's essentially a type of white brandy, uh, and, uh, probably the most famous drink, um, that you can have from it is a Pisco sour, which is Pisco. Um, uh, lemon juice, sugar, bitters, and whipped egg white, and it's uh, it's a common aperitif. It's an absolutely delicious 
drink. I make it here myself. I really got a taste from it through traveling through uh, through 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 Chile. Um, probably the most famous area for producing it is the Elqui Valley, um, which is uh, in the Norte Chico region, which is just north of um, of Santiago, just north of central Chile. And the Elqui Valley is one of really one of my um, my favorite places to visit. It's absolutely a gorgeous, a gorgeous bucolic valley uh, filled with kind of these gorgeous little uh, little villages, um, agricultural areas. Um, it's very sleepy and um, slow pace of life. They also have some uh, yeah, wonderful pisco dis- distilleries that you can uh, that you can visit. Now that obviously leads into um, uh, slightly more uh, contentious territory because um, to say that there's a fierce rivalry with Peru and Chile about uh, about pisco is, is a massive understatement. Um, both <laughs> claim it as their own. Uh, in in southern Peru, there is a uh, there is a town called Pisco, which which is where the, uh, the the name comes from. Each obviously claims theirs uh, as the uh, as the finest example of it. As I'm talking about Chile, you know, I would uh, I would obviously say in Chile, oh, it's, it's it, Chilean's absolutely the best. <laughs> but then I'm afraid, and I hold my hands up to this, if I'm uh, north of the border in Peru, I would probably uh, probably say that say the uh, the reverse essentially both both have pisco sours uh they're both delicious and uh, i would encourage uh, people to make up their own minds how do you find them different i mean if i were to taste one side by side chef could i taste the difference between a peruvian pisco sour and a chilean pisco sour i mean there's there's lots of varieties even within even within peruvian and and within um within chilean with, within the pisco and in and within pisco sours and within the the multitude of other cocktails and mixed drinks that you um you make with them um you know sometimes you get a slightly some of them are slightly fruitier some of them are slightly drier um in my experience and there's you know there's ex expert tasters will be able to pick out the uh, the, the minute little little differences um i would find if you, you know if you visit chile and if you have a few pisco sours which you definitely will have um, you'll notice um, you'll notice a wide range of of differences. Some of them are a lot smoother. As, as I say, the, the 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 ones from the Elki Valley are the ones that um, I tend to I tend to prefer. But that may also be because I have you know so many positive <laughs> associations <laughs> with the region and and you know yes. um, people I spent time with there and the landscapes and so on. I mean, and I think that that goes um, really goes hand in hand with you know food and drink anywhere if you have a connection to the landscape if you're you're drinking a drink in the landscape that it's 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 made in and this goes for the wine too um you somehow have a uh, you know a richer more enjoyable experience you mentioned that uh, your favorite place to get the pisco is the lk valley where is that in relation to chile would that be an easy place to get to uh from santiago or do we go somewhere else to get there first yeah, so so the Elqui Valley is is in the Norte Chico region, which is uh, the region which is just north of the central of central Chile, and central Chile is where Santiago is. So, all, you know, unless you're traveling overland, uh, most people are going to be flying into to Santiago. 
Uh, and it's very easy to get up to um, the Norte Chico region. You could fly to um, uh, the, the lovely city of La Serena. There's lots of flights from Santiago. Uh, you can obviously drive up. You can take, uh, you can take uh, buses. I seem to remember the bus takes about seven hours or so. And from there, from the, from the, from the city of La Serena, you can, you can access the Elqui Valley. So it's, um, it's, it, it feels very cut off and, and remote, but it's, um, you know, it, it's still, it's still relatively easy to, uh, to, to access. Let's jump into food now, uh, Chilean food. And I, the first thing that I want you to talk about, Chafik, is uh, Caranto. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes, yes, indeed. I, well, I, I'm, I'm glad you asked me about this because um, one of the regions of Chile that I like to uh, I like to visit and I like to talk about and which people perhaps don't know so much about is uh, Chiloé. And so this is an archipelago that's just off the coast of um, the uh, Lake District region of Chile, which is um, the northern part of uh, Patagonia on the map. So towards the south. Um, and it's an incredible, it's an incredible landscape, really. It's uh, filled with bogs and ancient forests. Uh, it's incredibly wet. Uh, when Charles Darwin was uh, sailing around uh, South America on the voyage of the Beagle, he stopped off in Chiloé and described it as the, uh, the wettest place that he'd ever visited. Charles Darwin <laughs> is British, so he knows a lot about uh, rain, as you can imagine. And 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 it is a very very rainy rainy landscape as I can uh, I can testify from personal experience, um, but but Chiloé uh, is incredibly the landscapes are incredibly dramatic, the culture is incredibly interesting. It's got uh, strong indigenous um, roots. It's a place of myths and legends. Um, it has these incredible wooden churches, um, which are sixteen of which are a UNESCO World Heritage sites. And they were built by um, shipbuilders. So they almost look like upturned ships. They're made out of wood and they're really, um, really um, dramatic, uh, dramatic things to see. All of this um, also leads into a very distinctive uh, cuisine. And uh, the most famous dish um, from uh, Chiloé is curanto, uh, which interestingly is very similar to a dish that they have on Easter Island. Um, essentially, you have an earthen, uh, earthen pit and then you have uh, red hot rocks that are placed uh, in the bottom of it, and then you have a layer of shellfish um, on top, and on top of that are laid, laid chunks of uh, smoked meat, sausages, chicken, uh, potatoes, uh, these types of potato dumplings called milkows. And then on top of that, you have a layer of wild rhubarb leaves. And then um, basically, as the shellfish cooks, the shells spring open, and they spill their juices onto the hot, hot rocks below, which creates steam, which steams the rest of the ingredients. Um, you know, and classically, um, it would take a couple of days to cook. Uh, and then these are big communal meals served at celebrations, um, festivals and so on. So with a, with a hot shellfish broth, uh, and it's absolutely, um, delicious. So if you visit Chiloé, you can, you can, you can still experience, uh, you can still sample, uh, Caranto in this very traditional version, but probably more likely you'll find, um, a version that's served in restaurants and also that people make at home, which is essentially, all the same ingredients, but it's oven baked in these uh, huge cast iron pots. Um, they almost look like uh, cauldrons. Um, they're, they're, they're incredible things, and so it's a, it's a hearty, warming, substantial dish for what is often a uh, a cold and wet place. 
you know, we talked about the cooking in the pits with the hot stones when we did the Easter Island episode with you, Shafik, and I talked about how it reminded me of the hangi in New Zealand. There's also a similar way of cooking in Hawaii. And, you know, you think Hawaii, New Zealand, uh, Easter Island, all these places were Polynesian, were settled by the Polynesians. I wonder, is do they think that's how... Caranto arrived in this part of Chile from Polynesians as well, or some other way, uh, some other method of transport to get uh, Caranto to Chile? Yeah, it's it, it, the, the parallel is uh, really interesting. Um, there, there was no suggestion of Polynesian settlement in in Chile, um, and the, the the roots the roots of the the dish are in the the indigenous um, kind of in, inhabitants of the region that have you know been there for many many thousands of years. I would guess it's actually, you know, it, it, it's something that has probably developed um, independently in in various other parts of in, in various parts of the world, and really kind of takes advantage of um, of uh, of the environment, the resources that are available, um, um, and also also the ingredients. But I do love the parallel, and you know, you know, you know, if if, if you sample. Um, uh, Uma, which is the dish on Easter Island, and you sample a Caranta, there's lots and lots of similarities, even though, uh, you know, 3,500 kilometers or so separates them, even though they have very different uh, peoples there, it's a very different landscape, definitely very, very different um, weather and so on. Uh, yeah, it's interesting to see the uh, to see the two parallels. It's interesting to me because we always want to try and pin a specific origin, a specific place where something came from, a specific person who invented a dish. And it makes sense that hot rocks uh, method of cooking could uh, come into being independently in several different places. I mean, a lot of people, look, oh, that's hot. I can cook something on it. <laughs> makes sense that a lot of people might, uh, might come up with that independently of each other. Um, I wanted to talk to you, Shafik, about a dish called and again, I always have to apologize for my pronunciation. I don't speak Spanish, but uh, humitas, H-U-M-I-T-A-S. Uh, talk about this dish. It sounds very interesting to me. Yeah, humitas. Um, yeah, so this is, um, it, yeah, if you think Chiloé is, uh, is, is down in the south or, or the, the southern part of Chile, if you travel right up to, to the north, uh, towards the Atacama Desert, uh, towards Peru, this is where you'll find um, traditionally uh, th this particular dish. Um, it's uh, essentially the, the the best way to think of it is it's quite similar to a Mexican tamale. Um, these are cakes of mashed corn which are wrapped in corn husks and then steamed. Um, and in in Chile, you find them often flavoured with minced onion and basil, but little else. Um, Umitas you find across the Andean regions of, um, of of South America. You find them in Argentina, across the border in Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, um, ec you know, Colombia, and, and, and so on. It's a very common common way of of, of preparing preparing the food. And again, it's 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 um, it's, it's something that harks back to um, uh, Chile's indigenous heritage, to the uh, to the Quechua and Aymara speaking peoples who. Uh, um, uh, populated the, uh, the the northern northern region. It's a delicious dish. It's a really delicious dish. Um, and as I say, you generally find it in the north, but you know it is possible to find it in uh, kind of in other in other in other parts of the country, and particularly in Santiago, where you have you know restaurants from absolutely everywhere. But uh, yeah, it's a, a delicious dish. 
Now, this dish, similar to a tamale, when I when I think of a tamale, they often have uh, pork or chicken on the inside, slow-roasted pork. It sounds like this is a much simpler method of preparation, much simpler in- ingredients. Uh, would that be correct? Yeah, yeah, that, that would be fair. I mean, you, you can, of course, get variations of it. And, um, you know, pork often features um, features in many, many Chilean dishes. And I've definitely had pork in my uh, my umitas when, when I've been there. But, but yeah, the, the, the the classic flavors would be uh, just just the the mashed corn. It's typically fresh corn that's 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 mashed up, and then yeah, minced onion and basil, are the and and seasoning would be the uh, the classic. So it kind of you know uh, corn in corn in Chile and corn in across across Latin America is delicious and far removed from uh, from from the, um, the the crops that we often get out certainly over here in in, in Europe. So uh, it lets those kind of ingredients really uh, rise to the fore. I think I'd really, I think I'd really like that. And they've got the fresh corn in there now. With tamales, you're using uh, masa, which is dried and ground corn, but this is fresh corn. That's an interesting difference. Yeah, that that, that appears to be the the, the 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 kind of one of the key the key differences between them, and obviously affects affects the flavor slightly. I, I mean, anecdotally, I, I, I find the um, the umitas the the texture is a little coarser than tamales, but uh, mm-hmm. by no means an expert on 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 on, on tamales. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a slightly more simple dish, um, uh, and it's often part of part part of a wider wider meal. But uh, yeah, it's got it's and, and as I said, you know, I, oft, I often like to talk about the indigenous heritage of these kind of dishes because it's something that you know, and particularly particularly in South America, and particularly in the country like Chile, is often often overlooked. Um, but it's 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 a reminder that uh, you know, as much as you might see of the European elements of Chile, I'm using European in inverted commas there. Um, there's a very strong indigenous heritage, and that actually, it's a lot a lot of it is is much more apparent and to the fore. If you're aware of it and uh, and know where to look, it's interesting that you say that because as much as European culture has influenced South America, talking South America in general and Chile specifically here, South America and Central America have influenced Europe. Uh, I always like to say there ain't no pizza without tomatoes, you know, and tomatoes is a new world. And another thing that's really popular in Chile is. Uh, chilies, uh, peppers. Um, I read about a spice called merkin. Can, can you talk a little bit about that and, uh, how that's used in different dishes in Chile? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so merkin is, is essentially, it's a smoked chili pepper and it's often mixed with, um, coriander and salt and then ground to a powder. Um, and it's a really versatile ingredient. It's used as a seasoning, as a condiment, as a dry rub for meats. It's used in ceviches, for example. And uh, its origins are with the uh, Mapuche people, who are the country's largest indigenous group. Uh, As I mentioned, I think around 1.3 million um, people have Mapuche heritage in in Chile, and they're from the south south of the, uh, the country. Um, and uh, yeah, Marken is a really, it's a it's a delicious delicious dish. Uh, Chilean food is often sometimes criticised for being a little bit underpowered in its flavourings, um, but Marken is something that really really pushes against that. And um, yeah, it's 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 a really versatile, delicious uh, ingredient. 
it's definitely something that deserves to be better known beyond Chile's borders as well. It's not something that you, it's, uh, certainly here in here in the UK, you don't come across it that much. I'm guessing it's probably similar in the in the US, but it's it's, it's definitely yeah, something I've never that heard would be it. yeah yeah. It's but it's, it, I think it's, it's it's definitely something that could uh, that deserves and uh, could have a much wider audience. So if I were to go into any grandma's kitchen in Chile, I'd definitely see a bottle of uh, Merkin in there ready ready at the go in many in many home kitchens you you, you would find it certainly and um yeah as i say it's it, it it's, it's a storeroom uh staple really you know if you need to liven up you know if you're cooking at home you need to liven up a dish it's <laughs> a it's a really good it's a really good standby i have some here in, in you know in the uk that i've brought back from from my my travels it's something that i use quite a lot myself as culinary tourists i always like to recommend, um, you know, specific cities to go to. I always say, you know, if, if you're going to go to France, yeah, go to Paris. But if you really want to try the food of France, go to Lyon. You know, um, there's there's lots of really great places that you can go to that are kind of not the best known. Now, for Chile, I don't know. Uh, is If I want to have the best meals in Chile, do I go to Santiago or are there other culinary hotspots that we should definitely be uh, checking out when we're in Chile, Shafik? Santiago is by far the biggest city in, in, in Chile. It's the, the population is much larger than any of the other, the other cities you'll come across. It's obviously the capital. It's the site of the main airport. It dominates politically, economically. Um, and that's also true in the, in the, in the culinary scene. By and large, the best restaurants, um, certainly the most, uh, the fanciest restaurants, the restaurants that uh, appear in the uh, the tables of South America's best restaurants, are generally found in Santiago, um, and has an incredibly diverse uh, eating out scene. It's got some great markets that you can eat in. Simply, it's got some very fancy, you know, Michelin starred restaurants. It's got, uh, you know, hot dog stands. <laughs> it's got uh, <laughs> empanada joints. It's got places that you can have very, you know, some super fresh seafood. We haven't really talked about the seafood, but uh, Chilean seafood is some of the best in the world. Um, so you can get, and particularly the shellfish is extremely, extremely good. So you can get that. You can also get <laughs> traditional dishes like uh, pastel de choclo, which is like a, a minced beef onions, boiled eggs, olives topped with a sweet corn puree and then baked. So you can get all of these kind of dishes, um, but then you can also get, you know, wonderful French, Italian, uh, you know, um, Peruvian, you know, dishes dishes from, from all around the world. The other place that I would recommend, uh, and it's a city that uh, that I love, it's one of my favourite cities in, in the world, is um, it's, it's near Santiago, it's in central Chile, it's on the coast, it's Valparaiso. Um, and it's a uh, it's a, it's a port city that over the last um, the last few years um, has seen a huge um, uh, or parts of it have seen a huge uh, uh, bout of gentrification, which you know it, as we we've had all, all, all around the world is um, is a to put it mildly has a mixed impact. But if we're judging it just from the the culinary scene, it has resulted in some 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 excellent and very creative restaurants and typically you know it, it, it's changing somewhat now but rents were a bit cheaper than in Santiago so this has allowed some uh, some creative chefs to um, to set up uh, 
set up store there. So I would definitely recommend um, uh, people visit uh, Valparaiso for many, many reasons, not least the food. But um, but Santiago, you know, Santiago is 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 a great great city for for eating out in whatever your interest in, whatever your budget is, really, whatever the uh, the food that you're looking to uh, to eat is. Well, Chef, great recommendations, great ideas. I love the idea of going to Valparaiso for uh, getting away from Santiago for a little bit and great ideas on wine and all kinds of great culinary ideas from uh, Chile. So uh, thanks again for being on the program. It's always a treat to talk to you. You've always got such interesting insight into the places that we talk about. Thanks for being on Destination Eat Drink. Oh, uh, thank you for inviting me back. It's always a pleasure. Okay, there you go. Shafik's got us going from Santiago to the Elqui Valley to Valparaiso. Keep up with Shafik at shafikmeji.com. We've got a link to his website in the show notes as well as links to his other appearances on the show. That's at radiomisfits.com slash ded one four seven. Next week on the program, we're talking transplanted cuisine. That is dishes that traveled and perhaps changed with moving to a new place. Until then, get yourself over to destinationeatdrink.com. I've written a new post about lemoncello. In fact, it's about the best place to get lemoncello on Italy's Amalfi Coast. You can read that at destinationeatdrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and artisanal Pisco Sour Mixologist Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.